0: And so for us, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, uh, and uh, just for, you know, kind of where are we, Uh, Paul is on his second missionary journey, actually... Actually, this is the transition time. Sorry, uh, of his trans, uh, missionary journeys, he's going to be traveling around the Mediterranean Sea and going to various Roman cities and introducing them to the gospel, uh, the gospel reasoning and seeking to convince them of the truth. And uh, and so here, uh, remember, he was in Athens last week in chapter seventeen, uh, a, uh, a a city of great knowledge and and study Uh, this week, he moves on to Corinth. And so we'll look at the first 16 or 17 verses and then pick up the rest as we go through today. So if you would, would you stand as we express our submission to the Word of God? God is speaking by His Spirit, and we want to hear from Him. So Luke, Luke writes this, after this, Paul then left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently, uh, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And when he went to see them, uh, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks." When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, And the the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of, of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized, that's the tribunal, they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Interesting. How is God in the midst and leading his people here? So let's pray. Father, I ask that you would take uh, Luke's account of what transpired as Paul leaves Athens and goes to Corinth. Uh, Father, what would you have for us here? Uh, what would be the encouragement and the challenge for us as your people? Father, I pray that, that we would uh, hear that we would, uh, by the power of the Spirit, be able to uh, respond, and Father, that we would follow you, that we would be your people, uh, your people living in this world. God, what does that look like, that we would not just be a people that gather for worship, but God, that we would function as your people all the time. So Father, uh, give us great insight into that and challenge us, and by the power of the Spirit, would you move our hearts? We pray these things in Christ's name amen. Please be seated. So we're about six months into this COVID-19 shutdown slash pandemic, and, and obviously, it has deeply affected every aspect of our lives. Work, many times, is very different School is about to open up for many, is already opened up for some, and that's going to look completely differently. Shopping is different, sports are different, uh, and one thing that's different is the church. Uh, in a sense, you could say that we are the displaced church, you know, just look around and, you know, a third of maybe who is normally in this room, many are outside, some are on the podcast, and it's kind of as if we're, we're just, uh, in, in a newfound way, uh, unable to gather and get together as God's people the way we are used to. We've lost all of those easy wins You know, the the easy connection, uh, the things that just came really naturally, and we didn't have to work too hard to be together and to be God's people, to be deeply connected and encouraging each other and spurring each other on. Those days are gone. Hopefully they will return, but at least for right now, they are gone. The old notion that you can merely show up on Sunday, have deep connection with people, well, that has not been our experience since mid-March. Even our connections when we're here are changed, you know, with masks or distance or uh, just such an interesting time. It takes a great effort and great work to stay connected. Now... Yes, we've all been drastically affected by the COVID shutdown, but how is this an actual gift to God's people? We've been talking at, uh, as the shepherd elders, uh, Steve prayed for it, that we're just asking God to speak. What would God say to us? What would you be a, a unique direction to pursue in the midst of such an odd time for our world and for his people? So one of the elders commented that it, it's the gift of this is that God has exposed all the faulty ways that we, would, we used to do church or at least look at church. So you displace the church and, it, 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 and it's, it's annoying, it's, it's bothersome, it's frustrating, but then it's also a gift because it exposes many things that might be inaccurate or inaccurate or unbiblical ways that we pursue what church is for months We didn't gather together in person. We were streaming online only, right? And so if your concept of church was this, if it was I show up at this place at this time, then the function of the church in your life has been drastically altered and very much hampered. Because I would say that's not at all what the the notion of what God desires for his church. It's not, I show up at this place at this time. That's what we would maybe say is an easy connection point, an easy win. That's been taken from us. What used to be okay, you know, was that we could wait for the church to schedule some stuff, right? The church is going to put some stuff on a calendar, We're going to make stuff happen. We're going to gather up. And if you show up most of the time, you can actually be pretty connected to God's people. Well, in the last six months, the planning side of those gatherings uh, has minimized greatly. And just now, we're trying to take steps to get back towards normal. Here's the key question. As gatherings of the church calendar decreased... What happened to your connection to God's people? What happened to your connection to the church? Did it grow? Did you feel a, a, a heightened need to be intentional with people, to, uh, you know, to, you know, yeah, you couldn't connect with the whole body at one time, the corporate gatherings looked different, but you, you felt this intentional pursuit and this desire that your connection with a smaller group of people would, would grow and soar. Did your connection with God's people grow during this time? Hopefully it did. Or, because those natural gatherings were were removed, did your connection to God's people wane? Did it lessen? Did it diminish? You know, if you fall into this camp where, where it went, it decreased, you feel more disconnected from God's people than ever, would you consider that COVID may have been the greatest gift to your Christian walk? Because if you found yourself waning in your connection to the, to the church, maybe that's revealing that your real connection to God's people or the real function of the church in your life was hindered or truncated in some way before the pandemic even started. I would submit to you, and we've been talking as the elders, should, is this a time where we reframe church? Now, I did not say redefine. That's God's job. God defines in his word who and what the church is. That's not what I'm saying. You know? But to reframe how we view the church, how we interact with the church, because the church in America is so, can so easily become, I show up at this place at this time. Or we say things like, we went to church. Yet God defines the church later in the book of Acts, I don't have the verse up, but Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he calls us the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, the question is, did Jesus obtain a building with his own blood? No. Jesus obtained or purchased a people. The people of God who were ransomed by the blood of Christ, that's the church. And so, if you're only waiting for church calendar events uh, to be your connection, you're missing the fact that even in that, that same verse in, in Acts 20, 28, we're called the flock. People interacting together, a group of people, a people obtained, a flock. That doesn't necessarily describe a place, but it certainly describes a people. Now, in fairness, we are gathered here this morning and God calls us to gather for worship weekly, but the meeting is not the church. The meeting is a function of what God has determined for his church to be, for his people to be, and how we ought to function. This is one thing of many. It's vital. It's absolutely essential, the gathering of God's people for worship, but it is not the sum total of what the church ought to be. COVID has given us a gift in possibly exposing how we may have slipped into this place, this time, understanding of church. God's taken away the easy connections And so, if the role of the people of God has diminished in your life over the last six months, I would challenge you to prayerfully consider what steps is God calling you to right now that God is calling you to take in order to function as a part of the body, as a part of the flock, the people of God. Historically, this is called the priesthood of all believers. If you want some good reading this week, go look that one, that concept up, that it is not the paid professionals are the ones doing all the ministry. It is all of God's people together who are priests before God, taking God's word to other people and everybody working on uh, God's behalf. It's the beautiful promise of God that he is going to use every one of his people for his plan and his purpose. The work of God is not relegated only to pastors, elders, deacons, ministry leaders. God's people must be fully functioning for the church to thrive. And with that, we get to Acts 18. Because we see in our passage this morning, we see an example of this, and that God meets us in our fears. But the question is, how does He do that? God meets us in our fears. So here's the context: He, Paul, leaves Athens uh, and he goes to Corinth. Corinth is about forty miles west of Athens, uh, and the letters of First and Second Corinthians are actually written back to these people that he met in Corinth. Okay, so we pick up in verse verses 1 through 4. And uh, so after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. And he worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So as you read that, it doesn't seem all that significant. He goes from one city to the next. He's been doing that all throughout the book of Acts. He shows up. He meets these people who happen to be in in Corinth, and he stays in their house, and he actually works alongside with them. While he does that, he preaches the gospel. Well, As you look at it, though, in context, so if you put this passage in context of what he comments to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I came to you, and he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Well, that changes things a little bit, doesn't it? So he walks into Corinth. Luke doesn't comment on it, but Paul does as he writes back to these people. He walks into Corinth in weakness and in fear and with trembling. I don't know about you, but that strikes me as kind of odd because the picture in my mind of the Apostle Paul is like this mountain of a man fearless apostle, boldly speaking, singing praises to God when he's in prison, getting stoned for the sake of the gospel and praising God for that, standing in the center of Athens, taking on the intellectuals of that day, but he walked into this city with fear and trembling. And so how does God meet us in our fears? Well, the printed outline in your bulletin, we're going to flip our sub points in the, uh, on the screen, it's going to be accurate. But he, God meets us in our fears with the presence of his people. So who does he meet? He shows up in Corinth and he meets Aquila and his wife Priscilla. Why are they in Corinth? Why are they there? Well, they were displaced by the Roman emperor Claudius. Well, Claudius basically wanted all the Jews to leave Rome, so he kicks them out of Rome, and where do they go? Well, Aquila and Priscilla end up in Corinth. They end up in Corinth at the same time that Paul walks in with fear and trembling. And what does he do? Well, he's a tent maker, he meets other tent makers and he stays, they welcome him into their home and they, and, they stay, and he stays in their house together. That had a profound effect on Paul's life. They were a great encouragement to him. In Romans chapter 16, um, uh, he actually comments on this couple um, and meet Prisca, which is actually the formal name of Priscilla. So it's the same person. Meet or Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life. Priscilla and Aquila were used of God to be with Paul in his fear when he gets to Corinth and a labor alongside of him and even go with him when he leaves Corinth and they go on to Ephesus with him. So who are Aquila and Priscilla? They're business people who live in Corinth because they've been displaced from Rome. God uses, God, God uses his people to meet Paul in his fear, but he uses, not a pastor, not an apostle, not a, he uses business people. He uses business people to encourage and to be a great encouragement to Paul in his fear and in his trembling. How did God use them? He uses them By merely allowing them to welcome Paul into their home. Doesn't necessarily say they did anything other than, hey, come be with us and hang out with us and we're going to labor with you for the gospel. We see that as it plays out. They're they're willing to be with him. They're, They're serving with him. Later, they risk their own life for him. Even though they were kicked out of their hometown, their being used of God did not cease. Isn't it, 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 it's so easy for us when difficulty happens, we're like, oh, that's it, you know, we're useless, we can't, you know, or, or we're licking our wounds from the, the suffering. They walk into Corinth, how long they have been there, it's not totally known, um, but they, their being used of God didn't stop. And think of the role of encouragement. Think of this, it rarely gets recognized publicly, It doesn't happen because the church plans an encouragement event. The idea of encouragement happens when God's people open their lives to other people. And their presence, just merely being with people, becomes an encouragement to others. If you have ever wondered, how could God ever use me? What would it look like for you... To meet someone in their fear. You don't have to take a spiritual gift test for that. Can you notice somebody in their fear, their weakness and their trembling, and just be with them and encourage them to keep going? So when God meets us in our fears, he uses often his people to do so. Are we functioning as the people of God, especially now that we're more displaced than ever, the intentional, purposeful efforts of God's people. Well, what comes out of that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. So Paul walks in with weakness and trembling, and this is actually on the screen. He says, In my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith, the people of Corinth, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he's, he kind of comes in with fear and trembling, but he speaks not necessarily with words of wisdom, but so that the power of the Spirit would do that. What motivates him to do that is that God meets him not just you know, with the presence of his people, but God meets Paul and his fears with God's own presence. So why was he wrapped up in fear? Well, I think the context gives us a little bit of a clue, even though it's not explicitly stated. I, one author said that Paul was actually afraid of success. Because what would a successful gospel proclamation, not, not him just speaking, but then the Spirit's power work in the people that hear it and they believe, what happens to Paul when that happens? Well, he's been stoned, he's been imprisoned, he's been beaten, he's been kicked out of cities, he's been chased out of cities. So, if the, the gospel comes to fruition and fruit in people's lives, do you see, like, he speaks, the gospel moves in people's lives, he's gonna suffer harm for it. And so, the logic goes something like this, if I don't speak, then I won't suffer any harm. And every Every person who claims faith in Christ understands that implicitly what that feels like. If I don't speak, I suffer no harm. I don't get shunned. I don't get looked at like, like I'm kind of odd. My neighbor uh, might not, you know, uh, what, what, we all understand the fear that it is to be displaced. And so, so Paul here uh, understands that for him to speak might mean his harm so what does God say to him in verse 9 and 10? Then the Lord said to Paul, "One night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people." What does God say? Paul, I understand. You're you're afraid to speak, but don't be afraid continue to speak, don't be silent even though you're tempted to be so. Why? Then comes God's promise. Why do those things even though harm may await him? God says, for I am with you. What did Jesus say to his disciples at the end of Matthew, at the end of uh, the Gospels with the Great Commission? He says, go into all the world making disciples and baptizing and, and teaching all the things that I command. Go in my authority, because I am with you always. This sounds a whole lot like that. Paul, go. Don't don't be afraid to speak. Don't be silent, for I am with you. And then he says, no one will attack you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So it's one thing to have God's people with you, which is a great promise. It's another that God says he will be with his people God promises to meet us in our fears with his presence in addition to his people. So what flows out of this? Well, uh, let me summarize verse 12 to 17. Uh, Basically, so though God says no one will attack you, uh, the Jews made an attack on Paul. Okay. I think the, the intent was the attack won't have any harm to you. Uh, they bring Paul before the Roman ruler of that era area, his name's Galio, uh, and since it was not a matter of Roman law, he basically throws it out of court, he says it's not my issue, and he drives them out, even bringing the punishment that the rulers of the synagogue were hoping for Paul. That falls on the ruler of the synagogue, Sosthenes, and he was beaten. And the Roman ruler just kind of turns his head and ignores that that's happening. But what's interesting in all of this is not merely that God meets us in our fears, but that God accomplishes his plan through his people. We're going to pick up in verse 18. We're going to pick up in verse uh, 18 and 19. So after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Cancrii, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So Priscilla and Aquila, so, notice again, especially in this day and age, uh, where uh, where um, women were often not regarded with much honor and status. Who's named first, Priscilla? Uh, it, it, it's just the move of this countercultural move of the gospel. So, Priscilla and Aquila go with him to Ephesus, and he cuts his hair there. We're saying, all right, he got a haircut. Why is that in the gospel? Um, and basically, most likely, he took a Nazarite vow. Um, And to take a Nazarite vow, think Samson, uh, you know, and don't cut his hair uh, and... um and others. The completion of that vow here uh, is marked with Paul cutting his hair. So he was basically not cutting his hair to kind of show this dedication and devotion to God over something he committed to. It doesn't say what. If you're watching the NHL, the hockey playoffs, it's kind of like those guys not shaving their beard until they win the Stanley Cup. They're committed to it. Loose equivalent. But anyway, uh, So, basically, he ends up in Ephesus, and then in the next few verses, he departs from there, and he says, if God wills, I'll return. But he goes throughout all the cities of the region. That's verse 20 to 23. And then we pick up 24 to 28. Okay? How does God accomplish his will and his purpose through his people? So, 24 to 28. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria— Came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those uh, through grace had believed and he powerfully refuted the Jews in public showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus so i want to submit to you for god to, as god accomplishes his purpose through his people i want to submit to you the first thing is don't be afraid to speak so in these little verses 24 to 28 who is speaking You've got Apollos and you've got Priscilla and Aquila and they're speaking in different ways and in different, uh, in different uh, uh, addressing different things. Verse 26, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, so Apollos is standing up and he's speaking and he's boldly letting it rip, okay? Uh, and he's standing up and he's eloquent and he's, he, he's speaking. So uh, Apollos is not afraid to speak the truth of the gospel, but Priscilla and Aquila, when they hear him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Well, what does that mean? Uh, at the end of 25, we see he spoke accurately about Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. Basically, that he was lacking, uh, he had a right understanding of Jesus, but a lacking understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see the people of Ephesus actually receiving the Holy Spirit uh, at, in the next chapter. And so in Acts, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was, uh, came down on his people. They were baptized, or they were anointed, or uh, have the overflowing of the Holy Spirit poured onto them. And so Apollos actually lacks that. Yet he was a true believer, but not understanding the power of the Spirit. So don't be afraid to speak. Apollos, even with, a, with an incomplete understanding, though he didn't know that, was boldly speaking, Priscilla and Aquila are willing to actually, not publicly light him up, but take him aside and speak boldly uh, of the truth of the gospel and explain more of the truth of God. Isn't it interesting that oftentimes, why do people, why do God's people not speak? Is because they think they're going to make a mistake. If you've ever had something in your mind, small group, Sunday school class, with a friend over lunch, coffee, just here in the fellowship time, a teaching, and you said, you know what, I'm not going to speak it because it might be wrong. I think we're letting, I, I, I think we're letting our, our need to be perfect and right take prominence over God actually using us. God was using Apollos even though he was misguided in some fashion. So be, don't be afraid to speak, but even as Priscilla and Aquila, have you ever been afraid to, to speak and correct or redirect somebody? You know, they took a really bold effort. Apollos is letting it rip. Doesn't that mean we just let him go? No. So it's, it's boldness to speak in both realms. To be willing to speak and possibly need to be corrected, that's not American. We speak when we know we're right, and only then. Well, take that back. That's not true. Uh, but uh, <laughs> around here, it seems to be that case, like in, in some sort of formal realm. Uh, but then Priscilla and Aquila are uh, willing to speak as well. But also, don't be afraid to learn. Who is Apollos is, is incredible. Verse 24, that he was a native of Alexandria, he was an eloquent man and competent in the scriptures, okay? The next verse, 25, he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. Well, to us, Alexandria doesn't mean anything. But in, the, in, the, in kind of the first century, uh, Athens, which we just came from, was this intellectual city. Well, Alexandria was right on par. You know, the greatest library in the world was in Alexandria in the first century, Who else came out of that city? Euclid. Okay? So if you're in geometry, right, uh, you'll you'll learn about Euclid. Uh, Euclid came out of there. Philo came out of there. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that all happened in Alexandria. He was an eloquent man, meaning that he most likely, uh, one commentator said, had read Aristotle's Rhetoric. Which was the way of making a presentation and a reasoned argument. So, when it says that Apollos knew the word, he knew the scriptures, he was eloquent, and he came from Alexandria, this is a guy who has his stuff together. Yet, even in that, don't be afraid to learn. Don't be afraid to learn. Because because they they draw him aside, and and he wasn't too proud to be a learner. No teacher, no leader should ever be afraid to learn. You and I are not complete yet. And so you and I need to be learners as God brings his word to us. And so God accomplishes his plan through his people. Don't be afraid to speak, but don't be afraid to to learn. And then what are the effects of this is 27 and 28. When he wished to cross, now he's Apollos, when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped. He helped those who through faith had believed. Those who had come to understand that a right relationship with God is only by grace. There's no effort you can make to make yourself right with him. There's no uh, times you can attend church enough to be made right with God. The only way to be right with God, to be brought into his family, and that he becomes your father, is by the grace of God. Those who through faith or through grace had believed. The ones who understand that their sin is rebellion against a holy and righteous God. That their sin deserves the wrath of God. But instead of that wrath falling onto onto me or to you or to anyone who has believed, it fell on Jesus. And because that wrath fell on Jesus, my sin has been paid for, but it didn't stop there. Jesus went to the cross. And why does the book of Acts talk about the resurrection? Is because it's way more than just a substitutionary atonement for your sin, where Jesus paid the penalty. He did not stay in the grave. That would be a travesty, and that would be no hope at all. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. He conquered sin so that you and I might have new life. And those who by grace believed. Apollos was a great encouragement to them. He helped them. He was, he was one who powerfully refuted the Jews in public, verse 28, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Meaning that the, the one who was promised in the Old Testament, the one who would save uh, his, God's people from their sins, who would set things right, who is the one who would usher in the new kingdom. He is Jesus Christ who walked on this earth, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead. That is someone's only hope. And so as Apollos learns from the words of Priscilla and Aquila, business people, as they speak and correct, he goes uh, to neighboring cities in that region and he builds their faith so that they might be more like Christ, that they might understand Jesus is and their only hope it's an interesting thing and let me just submit to you how might God be prompting you in this time of displaced COVID-19 church that God would say church is not about this place at this time it's about God's people functioning always God's people fully functioning and seeking to encourage and be present and to point people to know Jesus. How might you function as God's people today? Who might you say, you know what? Who do I need to text this afternoon? Who do I need to call? Who do I need to go for a walk with so you can social distance and and talk with? Who is it that God is saying they need you to be present with them so that we might become the body of Christ fully functioning for his glory. Let's pray. God, uh, be pleased and use your word. Uh, God, I ask that you would um, that you would use it, that by your spirit you would challenge us. uh, God, that you would um, that you would encourage us. Father, that we would be learners, that we would be bold in our speaking, that we would not shrink back. Father, help us to know that you normally accomplish your will through the efforts of your people. Father, that's sobering, but yet it's so hopeful because you promise that you will be with us. We function under your authority, and Father, we, uh, we seek to be your, uh, your people together and a beacon of your grace to this world. God, use us uh, for your, to build your kingdom and for your glory uh, in this world around us. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.